Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Ve salatu ve selamu alel meb'uthi rahmeten lil alemin. Ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve baraka ve selleme teslimen kathiran ila yevmiddin. Rabbena heblena min azvacina ve zürriyatina kurrata a'yun ve cealna lil muttaqina imama. Sadakallahu'l-azim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a wisdom in creating the human being and creating them within them a facility to reproduce. The whole act of the consummation of marriage, the whole act of the consummation of marriage and the husband and wife coming together, having this natural uh, attraction to each other and then that reaching a climax and a sense of fulfillment that is out of the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's from his wisdom. That's why Imam Ghazali rahimahullah, he mentions that this interaction between the husband and wife, uh, the sexual interaction that they have and the pleasure that they feel, there are two benefits for that. The first benefit is that it will help to increase the progeny. It will uh, help to continue the human race. It continues the human race and that's one of the uh, one of the reasons for this number 2 the other benefit of this is that this is to give believers a taste of what the pleasure in paradise uh, could uh, appear to be like of course there's no comparison to the pleasures of paradise but the one pleasure that a person can receive in this world and experience in this world that gives them a, an idea of what the pleasures of paradise would be like, just like a window, just like a whiff, just like a, a small percentage of experience that is through the interaction uh, that is between a husband uh, and wife. So now, the whole purpose of this is to continue the human race and when a person gets married, that would be the intention as well. The intention is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make me a means to have pious progeny and grant me pious progeny. That's why the famous dua in the Quran is Rabbana, um, Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yun wa ja'alna lil muttaqeen imama. I find this dua to be extremely powerful. I find it to be really, really potent and really, really profound and I think we should make it all the time. Because what it's saying is, Oh our Lord, Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina. Give us from our spouses. And the word used here, azwaj, it's actually general, husband, wife, both are included in that. So the both the man and the woman, they can both, the husband, the wife, they can both make this dua. Uh, they, they, they can make this dua because it's, it's used in the, uh, in the, in the plural. Uh, so, O oh, our Lord, grant us, grant us, gift us, hablana, gift us, min azwajina, from our spouses uh, and from our awlad, from our children. Those that are a source of gladdening, a gladdening of the eyes, a source of coolness of the eyes. Obviously, anybody reading this dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to have a pious outlook, would want pious children. And that's why this dua is going to be of that nature as well. So that's the kind of children that you're asking for. Because, I mean, the question that arises here is that if a person who wants their children to be to do something wrong and haram and that is not Islamic, then, you know, would they be using this dua? Well, I would doubt it because they probably wouldn't have the tawfiq to make this dua. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And <clears throat> moving on from that, now the question here that I want to deal with, or the issue that I want to deal with here is very simple. I just want to go through the major milestones that are significant in our journey uh, through this life with a view of having children and producing the best children that we can have. And then leaving this world and inshallah hoping that our children will, we're leaving a legacy behind where our children will pray for us and will do something that will be beneficial and a, for, a source of sadaqa jariya and a source of perpetual reward for all of us. So I just want to mention the milestones. Each one of these stages, each one of these milestones, each one of these salient features and major turning points and decision areas are, are things that you can actually discuss each one in detail for such a long time but we don't have the time today in the short time that we have i just want to discuss the major milestones now when we're speaking about coming to a, uh, to an age where we can start considering marriage we can consider 
to become parents when we start thinking about that in our minds whatever age that may be you know some people can start thinking about this when they're 16 years of age 17 years of age they start realizing that you know I'm maturing now I'm getting older um, I'm going to be old enough now to, 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 to marry I'm going to have children what should I be thinking about this is a mature way to think so we need to be thinking about this from before that when this happens then what am I going to do how successful am I going to be and how good am I going to be at it so that's why because this is one of the mo- uh, the biggest things we'll do our, in our life I mean they say buying a house is one of the biggest purchases you will make but still at the end of the day if you make a mistake in there it can be rectified but bringing children into this world you know, using ourselves to be to bring children uh, into the world as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us, then that is something that is very difficult to reverse. It's not, it's not reversible. It's something, it's a commitment that we're making and that's why it's very important to think about it and to, to, uh, to, to really consider it well beforehand. So first and foremost, we need to be making du'as every time that comes in our mind, however old we are, you know, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives me uh, a, a spouse and when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives me children, then they need to to be, they need to be well and pious, and may Allah subhanahu wa taala make me worthy of being a good parent, a good, a good husband, a good wife, a good, a good parent. So du'as need to be there all the time. Anytime this thought comes into our mind, you can read this du'a of the Quran. Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa zuriyatina qurrata a'yun wa jalla lil muttaqina imam. You can read this du'a. What we then have to really think about is that the main ingredient to be a good spouse and to be a good parent is character and the deen. And that deen, the character comes from the deen. So the deen and the character need to come together. We need to be able to instill in our relationship with our spouse and then with our children after that, good deen, uh, uh, a relationship full of taqwa and piety and righteousness, keeping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala above everything, a future thinking, prudent uh, thinking of how we and our children can go into Jannah and be together as happy people in Jannah with it- in eternal bliss. That's the thing that we need to be focused on right from the beginning beginning if that's our focus if that's our goal and our ultimate ambition and our dream then from the time even before we're married we will make the right decisions because what we need to realize is that the 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 most essential ingredient is piety and good character good conduct and good behavior because that is what's going to rub off onto the other person and onto our children that's where they're going to learn from so we need to start inculcating character from from a younger age so that means we need to remove uh, extreme anger if that's a problem that we have that we need to do something about it if it's greed or uh, just bad tongue or speaking badly speaking ill of people doing ghibah backbiting just uh, not looking at things in a positive light always having a bad opinion about things etc etc this is all bad for a relationship it's also bad as a you know to provide as a role model for our children so these things need to be considered from beforehand you can't just change when you get married you can't just change when you have children you'll be swearing in front of your children you'll be backbiting others in front of your children you'll be putting other people down it's not a nice thing to do in fact you may even swear at your own children when you get angry right there are people who do that you see them sometimes outside on the streets their their children are refusing to listen to them they're crying or they're insisting that they want something and they'll swear at their children subhanallah so what does that give to the children then you see their children doing the same thing it's a very big responsibility so this is all even before marriage even then after that when you're about to get married when you're looking to get married then you need to find the right spouse and for that the Prophet ﷺ said although he said it to men about women because probably men were in front of him but of course it applies the other way around as well it, it doesn't give license for women to just get married to who they want I mean it's an encouragement at the end of the day the Prophet ﷺ said that the woman is generally married for four reasons this is a cultural thing this is what society generally gets married for these are four reasons that people get married for one is for the family for the family lineage right are they cultured people are they respectable people are they dignified people because that's there's a benefit in that because when you have dignified people that you know if you're getting married into a dignified family there'll be better character you'd expect right not pompous people not pompous people and just wealthy people that don't have any character but we're talking about people with a good hasab nasab right which of course it can go both ways that's number one number two for their wealth number three 
is for their beauty and number four is for their deen and this of course if a uh, if a woman is looking for a husband these are four considerations that they would have as well there could be other considerations that are offshoots of these four considerations but the prophet ﷺ said make sure that you are successful with the deen aspect which means that if you have the other three as well it's very good he's not saying that overlook the other three he's not saying that neglect the other three in fact i would encourage that if you can find somebody with the deen and part of the others as well, then that's very good. That's the best thing that you can have. And if you do have that, you should be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the that's your outlook. So uh, you should be looking for something like that. Make lots of dua, make istikhara, make mashwara, etc. Again, we could delve on each of these topics, each of these particular instances uh, for much longer but we don't have the time just want to go through all so that it just gives us something to think about in a more universal kind of way so once a person has decided and inshallah they found the right person that fits this bill that uh, has all of these qualities inshallah then they get married now the thing about this is that when you get married then I would say that marriage, and this is what I, what I th- feel, is that marriage is one thing that you need to try to follow every sunnah in. Because with anything else, if you make a slight mistake, it's reversible, it's a possibility that you, know, you, you, you give the product back or whatever the case is. But when you get married, it's very difficult. And especially since I'm talking to our sisters here, you know, for sisters it's even more difficult because sometimes I mean, the, the number of emails and number of calls that I get of sisters who, who say that you know, she wants to be, you know, their, their marriage is broken down but the husband is refusing to divorce his wife and he's literally just neither accepting to be with her properly with good behavior behavior but neither is he willing to let her go as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells them to do that you know let them go nicely in a beautiful way if you can't deal with it and if you can't be together there's no compatibility let them go but that doesn't happen they just want to torment their wife and the wife then comes for a fatwa I say look the fatwa is not going to work in this case you need qada you need a ruling so you need to go to a sharia court so it's very difficult so this is something that we need to fulfill every sunnah in as much as possible and not do anything wrong. And then you can just reap the barakat and the blessings of it. That's why I've seen cases where a husband and wife, where a couple have just learnt about each other. They've done their due diligence. They know who each other is and you know, they've done their istikhara, etc. They never had any you know, like extended interaction or anything of that nature. But because of following the sunnah fully and thoroughly, within half an hour of their marriage, they were, they were together as though... There's never been any ice between them. They've known each other for 10 years and subhanAllah. You know, there's, there, was no, there, there was no issue about it. There was no issue about it at all. So that is very important to think about. Now, once a person does get married, again, I'm just glossing over many of these areas, but once a person gets married, then there's the first night, which is very, very important. It's very important. You need to follow every sunnah possible. There are certain du'as that are related that the husband has to read as well. The wife should also read, Oh Allah, give us the best of my spouse and you know, make them the best and protect me from any evil that may be there. You know, There's a lots of these du'as. There's two rakats that you do. There's a gift that you give. It's a sunnah to give a gift on the first night. Many people, they give a gift during in the wedding it's actually the sunnah is to give a gift uh, you know there's no, nothing wrong with giving a gift in the wedding as well but it's a sunnah to give a gift when uh, when a couple meet for the first time now when they do get together there needs to be a softness of approach and everything like that and then the dua must be recited you see shaitan he comes at the big moments to try to spoil everything he likes to he likes to add a virus to the core of something so that when it actually germinates and grows, the virus also grows with it, right? The shaitan wants to come and spoil the seed right from the beginning. This, com- uh, this communion that's going to happen, this, uh, uh, th- this, commun- uh, this consumi- consummation, this consummation that's going to take place right now, it's a very important consummation. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may be providing providing the offspring from this. May Allah, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills, that is what's going to happen. And that's why every precaution needs to be taken. The directions of Rasulullah need to be fulfilled. And that is the dua should be recited because shaitan is willing to be there. Shaitan wants to be there. He wants to be part of the action so that he can spoil it, adulterate it, and he can cause a defect in there and cause a problem in there right from the beginning. That's why Allahumma jannibna shaitan wa jannibi shaitan ma razaqtana. Oh Allah, protect us, keep us away from the shaitan, keep the shaitan away from us, and keep him away from what you will give us and bestow upon us. Subhanallah. 
that's what the dua is of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So a person should recite this dua. Uh, both couples should recite this dua. You should make a habit of doing so. right? You should recite this dua. It's very important. That's why in many cultures, this is considered to be like a major swear that you say to somebody that you are, you know, you're, you're the ch- children of uh, the nun bismillah. Be bismillah ki awlad. Right, which is a really bad swear. It's like saying to somebody that you're so bad right now. They only do this to say that you're so mean and so bad and you know so uh, so mischievous right now because your parents did not read Bismillah. That's a major slander, major swear. Right? Nobody knows that. But this is. I'm just trying to show you the consequences of this sometimes as people perceive it. So what we need to understand is that we need not to make a mistake in our spousal spousal relationships and make sure that this dua is always recited, regardless of what situation. We need to habituate ourselves to reading this dua. It's very important to read it. If you forget to read it beforehand, read it in the middle. It has to be recited. That's why shaitan will then uh, not be part of the process and uh, this will help inshallah to have, a, uh, have what they will call a halal child subhanallah. Right? We'll have a good pristine pure child inshallah that will, be av- uh, that will be away from the shaitan and his mischief. Now then, once a mother becomes pregnant with her child, with the embryo, now, although the father has responsibility as well, but I would probably say, practically speaking, the mother has more of a responsibility. And I want to just pay a bit more attention to that. This is a very crucial moment. You've done the act. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has caused the, has caused the embryo to start growing. He's given you this great value. This fruit of your womb is there, subhanallah. Now, you need to nurture it. You need to nurture it. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you responsibility for. So now to nurture this, try to stay away from every wrong and haram, seeing and listening and even thinking as far as possible. Of course, any ideas that come in mind without us uh, actively seeking them out, we need to dispel them as much as possible. But the point is that we need to really think about this. This is very important. We know that the mother, they're told a dietitian, you'll be seeing a dietitian who will tell you eat these foods because it's good for your health when you're carrying a baby. You need, they, they tell you you need to eat for two. That's what they actually say, you need to eat for two. Right? So drink lots of water, do this, do that, you know, do these things that will create more blood within you, take these tablets, you know, take iron tablets, take folic acid, you know, because it's good for you, you need to do this so that you know your body is healthy enough to carry the baby, the body is sustained, the baby is sustained because you uh, the, the woman, the, the sister, you know, she is uh, going to be feeding this child through the system that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has internally created for uh, for for this couple, subhanallah. So now if we understand and we believe because of research that the food is being provided, the nourishment is being provided, in fact many other things, in fact they have studies that show that if a woman is anxious during her, uh, her pregnancy, then that is going to cause an anxious baby eventually. Uh, that's why you have, to be, you have to try to avoid any kind of grief and sorrow and anxiety and try to be happy and try to be, you know, you know, to genuinely be happy and just have high spirits and to be focused. So that's very important during the winning. So if biologically the food is being provided, the sustenance is being provided, emotions are being carried. Emotions are being carried. So everything that we're looking at is going to affect inside. Right? They don't generally they don't generally do research of this nature because it just goes against the whole you know godless modernity process or post modernity uh, you know outlook. But everything you listen to, it's going to be there. Your child. I mean, there are there are there are stories we have of mothers who are reciting or memorizing the Quran with a child, you know, with with a baby, you know, Subhanallah, with an embryo. When that child uh, when that child then begins to memorize the Quran, what was noticed was that the number of uh, ajza or parts of the Qur'an that the mother had worked on and recited while he, he was in his mother's womb were much more easier for him, were much easier for him to learn and memorize than the other one. Subhanallah. So there is this effect of this. And 
listening to Quran is extremely comforting. Listening to Quran is extremely comforting. Sitting down to do dhikr is extremely important. That will calm you down. Allah bi dhikrillahi tatma'innul qulub. Allah bi dhikrillahi tatma'innul qulub. That it's with the dhikr of Allah, remembrance of Allah, that your hearts will find contentment. If you have anxiety, sometimes in, in when a woman becomes pregnant, because uh, you know her resources are being used for this new child. I mean, that's the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is creating. You should be really happy that you're providing this service because you know if a woman subhanallah today we've got women who unfortunately think of things in a way of equality to such a degree that they think men should also take responsibility in bearing babies and you know there, there are efforts and the ways to be able to do this to pl- implant a womb into a man and subhanallah may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us so the point here is that yes you have this responsibility but look at it this other way as much as your effort is behind this baby from the time that you bear this from in your womb to the time that you then suckle it uh, you know to you breastfeed it you bring it up the the sleepless nights etc etc every good thing that this child is going to become afterwards and will do you get the reward for it that's what I believe, that the mothers get the first reward. I know today that the rewards of anything that I am doing, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept anything that I am doing, first and foremost, I believe my mum and then my father is getting. Because my, my father, obviously, he, he was the, the, supply, you know, the, 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 the sustenance provider. He was the helper, he was the assister. But my mother, I know she was more with us. You know, because my father had to work. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's done a great amount for us. But I know my mother was there 24 hours with us. Subhanallah, you know, she was the one who gave her entire heart and so on selflessly, absolutely selflessly. I know she's getting, inshallah, the, the, the most of reward. Even if I don't have any ikhlas, inshallah, she will get the reward for it. My father will get the reward and then my teachers will get the reward. So that's what a mother should think, that this is a massive investment. If that's the only investment that you make and you do nothing else in the world, subhanAllah, I'm not trying to make be defeatist here, but if that's the only investment you do that you bring up good children that are contributing to the society, that are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that are destined for Jannah, your Jannah is made as well. There's no doubt about that. There is absolutely no doubt about that. I believe in that very strongly. You've got a massive responsibility. You've got a massive responsibility. And you know, subhanAllah, this is just the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made things. I know a number of women who mashallah are trying to help the deen and so on but eventually what happens is once they get a few children it gets very difficult until all the children have grown up then they can get back and you know be become more active it's very difficult you know men can be more that's why in uh, in history you see that there's generally been more ulama male ulama than female ulama it's not because females are deficient uh, in terms of their in terms of their uh, what you call it ability to memorize or understand something you know it's not necessarily because of that they just don't have the time their main function one of the main purposes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created them for is for this reason. One of the main. I'm not saying it's the main. It's one of these. To get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to produce the, a God-fearing next generation. And any time that a woman forgets that, then it's, it's a problem. Men should not take advantage of that situation by lumping everything on the women. You have to understand that. But a woman, when she does this, she should do this with a good intention. Then it will become easier as well. And believe me, the fruits of your labor will be born in Jannah. You will get that in Jannah because if you if you bear five children, three children, two children with great akhlaq and character, high morals, high himma, and uh, uh, a concern for the deen, a connection with Allah subhanahu wa taala, which is going to be implanted, impl- you know, t- uh, imparted from you. You, you, you've made it in Jannah. You've made it in Jannah. That's why one of the sheikhs, he said that, you know, I have uh, brothers who come to me and sisters who come to me and I see that the sisters actually get much further in their spiritual state just because of the hardships that they go through with their children. Because life is about struggle and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves people who are broken hearted, who are undergoing a struggle in a selfless manner, right? That's very important. Men generally don't do that. I'm not trying to put men down, you know, I'm not trying to put men down, but men generally don't have, they've got many other things that they can do outside, they can enjoy themselves a bit more, the women are sometimes stuck with this, right? But there's a reward for it, there's a reward for it, and there's a massive reward for it. And that's why when the Sahabi asked the mother, asked the, uh, asked the Prophet ﷺ, who do I have my responsibility of obedience to? He said, your mother. And then he asked again, and he said, your mother. And he asked again, and he said, your mother. Then when he asked the fourth time, he said, your father. Right? So there is no doubt about the status of the father. But the mother requires much more obedience because generally the mother is much softer. And the Prophet ﷺ is emphasizing that, look, you need to treat your mother kindly. Mothers are an amazing 
creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and every woman can become one and only the most miserable one will not become one subhanallah but you've only got your own self to blame that if you become a miserable mother most mothers are mashallah they, they, Allah has given them the natural instinct you just need you, you, in order to spoil that you'd, you have to be really extreme to not be a good mother subhanallah right Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy so once the child is being born uh, the, 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 uh, by the mother and they're being affected by all of this so relax in this situation the husband should make it easy unfortunately we've got cases uh, subhanallah i really feel sorry for these uh, situations and i wish i could do more but you know your, your hands are tied you've got cases where the woman is pregnant she's on six months seven months eight months and she's been made to do all the work in the house the others don't lift a finger, they don't do anything, and then on top they abuse her, psychologically abuse her. This is bad. Grand, the, the, the in-laws are doing this. The in-laws, are, and don't they have any concern about their grandchildren are going to be affected by this? They just think that this child is going to come out in a vac- vacuum and they're going to look after this child afterwards. They're going to be very pleased when they get the grandchild. But sometimes you've got some really twisted people who even, uh, because the child is their son's, but it's also this daughter-in-law who they've got hatred for now for some reason. They hate her child as well. They don't want anything to do with it. Those are the really extreme ones. But in-laws should really be careful about this situation. Should really be careful about this situation. Now when the child is born, the, these are, this is another mile. So I mean, I took a bit long during the pregnancy aspect. But when the child is actually born, what do you do? First and foremost... These are some practical tips that I've got some from some experience. So like if you're in a hotel, uh, if you're in a, uh, and I'm talking about both in, in the US and in the UK because I've experienced both sides of this. So what happens generally is that they'll, uh, in order to give birth, you'll generally be closed off and everything. Sometimes though, in that ward, you've got music playing. You know, the nurses have music playing. What, I've, what I would suggest, and this is actually what I did, I actually requested, can you please put that off? Then what I did was I took a, reco- a player, a rec- a player um, uh, um, I can't remember what it was. At that time, we didn't have the iPhones and whatever, right? So uh, as soon as the baby was born, that's what I had playing. So the first things that came into... Now, the first things that the child will generally... The, the, the baby will generally hear is the nurse saying, oh, it's a boy or oh, it's a girl or whatever. Okay, we can understand that. Then what happens is you need to do adhana niqama as soon as possible, because the first words that want to uh, that you know that uh, uh, should go into the ears and penetrate the ears should be adhan and the iqama, because it's mentioned in a hadith that when the baby is born, shaitan comes and tries to attack you. He, shaitan comes and pinches and pokes, right? Comes and pokes the child, like you know I've got you now. Right, so just wait for you to grow up, and I'll I'll show you what I can do. The child cries, right? Generally, the the child cries to that fact. We need to give a adhan as soon as possible because what you could actually even request the nurses, etc. That I, if you don't mind, when the child is born, I want you to be totally silent because we've got a ritual. Even you explain things nicely, not in some kind of draconian way, right? In a kind of obsessive way. When you explain things nicely, they 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 they're there to help you out, really. The majority of them there to, to help you out. Why should they try to impose their rules? You're not ble- breaking any hospital rules or anything. So, like, so now you should have somebody at hand. It's generally the woman you know, who's going to be in the ward now. Sometimes she doesn't have anybody there. You should try to have the husband uh, or your father or some, your brother or somebody, right? Preferably to give adhan. Because you have a hadith here that uh, the Prophet ﷺ is related from uh, it's it's uh, it's related from uh, Abu Rafi that uh, in Tirmidhi and Abu Dawood that he said I saw Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam calling the adhan in the ear of Hassan ibn Ali. So his daughter Fatima's son, his grandson Hassan radiyallahu anhu, he called the adhan when Fatima radiyallahu anha gave birth. He was there at hand. So this is the father is there at hand. So. There's nothing wrong with the father going and being there after the child has, uh, you know, is, is about to be born and then he goes in and then after that he gives adhan. So that would be a sunnah to do for the father. The husband can be there as well. Now, I've, I've seen cases where people will call and say, you know, we don't have any male folk to give the adhan. It doesn't matter. The first words you want is to give the adhan. If you do have a husband, a brother or, or father to give it or somebody else, you know, pious, th- that's good. It's fine. But if you don't, then you give the adhan yourself. 
Generally, the woman is really tired after labor. Generally speaking, she's very tired after labor. She should have some help at hand, right? She should ha have some help at hand. I mean, the husband can be there. It's better for him not to be witnessing the actual act, but he could be sitting by her, facing her head. So in the opposite direction, maybe holding a hand if he wants to, but it's better to, for women to be there. It's just better for women to be there. Some men just get really grossed out. And traditionally speaking, men weren't really there. It was the women kind of thing. That's why one observation that uh, some, uh, somebody made was uh, the, the women are there to bring the child the softness, the, you know, the compassion that they have, the mercy, to bring the child into the world. It's the men that go and do the janazah. Women don't take part in the janazah and the burial, if you notice. It's generally the men who do that. So the men go and do that kind of task. In the easy task of bringing the child into the world, it's the women that should be there. However, if there's no women that can be there, the husband can be there. It's not haram. But I think he should just avoid looking at the whole delivery process, right? Because that's, uh, that's really intense. He should be focusing, you know, on looking at the wife, just doing the dhikr with her, you know, just reassuring her, wiping, you know, wiping her head, you know, just uh, what, whatever the case is. So, when the main thing is that as soon as the child is born, good things need to start, right? So the adhan is called. So the mother should call the adhan if there's nobody available. So it's the adhan in the right ear, and the iqama in the left ear. The only difference is that you're not going to shout the adhan out in the right ear, like you know the way you would do on a, on a minaret, because that would be very loud. It just means you do that a bit louder and slower, you know, more spaced out. And in the iqama, you add qad qamati salah, qad qamati salah, which means you know you add uh, the, 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 as you do in iqama, and that's generally faster. That's all you do. And then after that, what the hospital will generally do is they'll just wipe all the fluids, uh, all the Ambiotic fluids as they call them uh, They'll just wipe them off and then wrap them up And they'll give you the baby You know of course they'll do that And then you give the adhan It should then be given a bath as soon as possible You know generally mothers are really tired out And whatever they Maybe have some rest and then, and then go and do that If there's somebody else there that can help Then they, sh they should do that So give, give them a bath uh, Clean them up a bit And after that There's some du'as that you can recite as well There are some other du'as that you can recite when you have the child, I mean, you could have them written and take them with you. Remember, all of this needs to be planned. It can't be done ad hoc. I mean, it's a pregnancy at the end of the day. You're not going to do things ad hoc. It's not going to just happen all of a sudden. So have these things ready. Generally, women have their hospital bags ready from like a month in advance anyway, right? Especially as the date goes closer, they have the bag ready. I have to take this. I have to take this. Take a dua kitab with you. Take, you know, these guidances. You might forget. So make a list of things. You know, maybe even on your phone or something like that. I'm just trying to give some pra practical tips. So one of the du'as is, Allahumma inni u'iduha bika wa dhurriyataha min ash-shaytanir rajim. This is in the Quran, right? This is about Maryam alayhi salam. This is about Zakariya alayhi salam. Sorry, uh, about the in the time of the uh, in the time of uh, uh, what do you call it, Maryam alayhi salam. This is the du'a. Allahumma inni u'iduha bika wa dhurriyataha min ash-shaytanir rajim. Oh Allah, I put her in your refuge. And her progeny. So look at the look at the look at the thought. It's not just about this child. This child is going to go on to have other children, and you've got concern over everybody that's to come from your loins until the day of judgment. So this is a very comprehensive du'a. It's not just about this one child. It's oh Allah, I give her in your refuge, and I give also her her progeny in your refuge from the shaitan. From the shaitan, al-rajim, the accursed devil. Subhanallah. Another one is, Allahumma, this is in hadith. Allahumma ja'alha or Allahumma ja'alhu. Ha is for women, uh, for girls, and uh, hu is for men, uh, is for boys. Allahumma ja'alha barratan taqiyyatan. Oh Allah, make her an obedient child, both to Allah and her parents, and to Islam, and taqiyyatan, and righteous, and uh, with taqwa. And, وَأَنْبِتْهَا فِي الْإِسْلَامِ نَبَاتًا حَسَنًا the wording used here is like an uh, is the word that you generally use for for bringing up a plant, for nurturing a plant. Ambita, ambata yumbit means to grow. Uh, to grow something, you need to water it, you need to fertilize it, you need to look after it, and you need to really like take care of it. So, O oh Allah, I want you to grow her, nabat and hasan in a beautiful manner, a beautiful growth. Subhanallah. And then, Allahumma alimha al kitab. Oh Allah, Allahumma allim hul kitab. Oh Allah, teach him the book, the Quran, 
the kitab, which is our lifeline, wal hikmah, and wisdom in how you take that Quran and apply it. That's another thing. Wafaqiha fiddin, or faqihu fiddin, female and male, and give him deep understanding of the deen. Now, you think anybody who makes these du'as, you think their du'a is not going to be accepted? Because I guarantee you the majority of people don't make these du'as. Who remembers at that time to do it? That's why if you've got a concern and you've planned this and you've really like organized this in such a manner that when the time comes you remember this, Allah is going to see your concern. My servant at this moment when just come through labor, they're making this dua, you know, subhanallah, I'm going to accept this dua. Because the du'as that are done in those kind of motion, moments where you're, uh, you can say, uh, occupied by something else or something like that, and a du'a made there is a very, very important du'a. And those du'as will be accepted. So don't forget these things. Now, what then happens is the, the mother delivers a child, then the placenta is delivered as well. What do you do with that? What the recommendation there is and advice there is that you bury it. So you ask the hospital for it, and they generally give it to you. But you must make sure you have a garden or some place to bury it. Many people live in these high-rises or flats or apartments or something like that. They don't have any place. So if you can't or you don't have a place or something like that, then it's okay to let them. I mean, the cord, blood, etc., it can be donated for research purposes because it's going to be disposed of anyway, right? It's going to be buried or disposed of in any way. They burn it or they incinerate it or something like that. But at the end of the day, these uh, because it's going to be... It's going to be disposed of. They, they, they can, they can benefit from that as well. But as far as possible, you should try to bury it if you can take and bury it. Then the next process there is tahnik. Right, tahnik is a very interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting thing. It's tahnik. The word comes from hanak, and hanak means the palate of the mouth. Right, so the top palate of the mouth. That's what you call tahnik. And tahnik means to stick something at the roof of the mouth. Um, so that comes from this hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that when Asma radiallahu anha, the sister of Aisha radiallahu anha, when she had her first child as soon as they moved to Medina Munawwara, Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu anha, the Prophet ﷺ got the child, asked for a date, an ajwa date, and then he chewed it, softened it, and then he put it into the mouth of the child, and the child sucked on it. So it's to transfer saliva from a pious individual as being one of the first things. It doesn't have to be the absolute. If it can be, again, if you got a tahnik done from someone, you don't have to ha- have bring them in. What happens in many cases now is that they get tahnik, uh, they get the date. Um, chewed by somebody beforehand and then they put it in the fridge it's in a foil wrap or something like that and then you take it out and believe me child loves it I, I just did one what two weeks ago right the friend's son uh, uh, daughter and you chew the date and then you put it in the mouth and oh it, it won't even, you know you feel like it's going to swallow the whole thing so you just have to make sure you hold it uh, what I would suggest there is that if you've got a kind of a dry date where it's dried then those pieces are very dangerous the skin dry skin is very dangerous because then that could get stuck so get a moistener or if you've got a, only a dry date at hand then remove the dry uh, skin and then just chew the rest so that it's just a chewy not chewy but uh, a kind of a moist state put it in the mouth let them suck on it for a while and then take it out don't do this too much you're not going to do it every day or something like that otherwise they'll become a sweet tooth and that's another problem the other thing I would just say as a practical tip here is that many people you know they know honey is very beneficial honey is shifa etc etc so they give their children water with honey and actually what we noticed was that the child was already always having a stomach problem or a problem we just didn't realize why then what we noticed once I read somewhere that honey is actually not good for them in the first year. Now in on honey bottles, on, on jars of honey, you'll actually see that not suitable for children under one year of age. Right? Because I noticed that from experience that it's probably too heavy for them. And the other thing is that you don't want to get them accustomed to sweets from the beginning. Because then they won't take anything else. In fact, you should avoid sweet. This is just that initial part where you do that. There's also some studies about a child feeling a lot of relaxation away from their pain like you know when they have the prick or something like that and you give them some sweet that takes sweetness takes away pain
from children. Very interesting uh, observation that was, uh, or some uh, study that was done. So that's what you call tahnik. That's what you call tahnik. If you don't have any people around, then the father should just do it. Even the mother can do it. Just to follow the sunnah in general. I mean, some people say this is a sunnah that you know was done by the Prophet Wasallam, so it should be done by a pious individual or something like that. But again, it can be done. Then after that comes the breastfeeding time. And again, you can do research about the benefits of breastfeeding. I don't need to go into that. That's something many, many people know. But I just want to talk about the, 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 uh, the way you should breastfeed. In the sense of what should be in your mind. Now generally, when a woman is going to breastfeed, she's going to be relaxed. She's going to be sitting down. She's not going to be cooking while breastfeeding, I'm assuming. right? She's not going to be doing anything else. Unfortunately, what a lot of women do is that they're breastfeeding and they're watching Neighbours. Right? They're watching Coronation Street. Or they're watching some movie. They're watching up the breaking of marriage. They're watching infidelity. They're watching people being unfaithful to each other. People swearing at each other maybe. And just absolute futility and silliness and, you know, make-believe. If your milk is going to have benefit and is going to nourish this child, then we believe in something beyond that. That when you're breastfeeding your children, the, the more dhikr that you do, that will also transfer to the child. She's in that environment. Dhikr is so powerful and so, so powerful that when a group of people are doing dhikr and others just come in, they get blessed because of the people who are doing dhikr, even if they've just come in to pick up some keys or something like that. If that's the power of dhikr, the, the radiation, I mean, if I can use that term, uh, radiation is a bad thing but um, it, you know if, you, if that's the sense of what it uh, effuses then the mother sitting down every time she breastfeeds read some Quran you know nowadays if you don't have uh, you know you'll well like you can't I mean in during the postnatal period uh, the, the 40 days of postnatal bleeding you can't read the Quran then. But you can do dhikr. Have a book of uh, du'as. There are many du'as. Al-Hizbul A'adham and many other du'a books that you could, you could be doing, uh, you know, reading salawat on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and just doing dhikr. Sit down and do muraqaba while you're breastfeeding your child. I mean, there's lots of things that you can do. There's just so many things. But that is what you should do as opposed to some kind of futile act to get on your phone and just be chatting with people. Subhanallah. You sh- that, that's what you should be doing. Now, you might be thinking that's tough, you know, for a whole year you're going to do that. Obviously your breastfeeding is going to get less and less because then you start introducing food and so on. But at the end of the day, what you must realize is that all the sacrifice that I'm giving right now for my child, there's going to be a benefit to it. When you think that the sacrifice that you're giving is just sacrifice that's going to go nowhere, then it's going to become a really difficult act to do. But when you understand that every moment of yours doing dhikr while you're feeding your child, it's your investment and it's the benefit that you're providing, it's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to do, then it suddenly becomes much more fruitful. It suddenly becomes much easier because you're doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're getting closer to Allah, you're bringing yourself closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a story that's related about one of the leaders of Afghanistan, of Kabul, one of the governors. And the son was at the head of an army or something like that. And it mentions that everybody was worried that he, was, he, he had suffered a setback and he was going to be failing. And this is the kind of rumor that was coming back. His mother was really calm in the house, in, in the palace. She's really calm. She's, got, she's not perturbed at all. Everybody's becoming really frantic. What's going to happen to him? This, that and the other. And eventually they notice that she's just sitting around nothing. Then eventually he came back as a victor. And then they asked her, how come you weren't perturbed? Mothers are the first people to become perturbed. You know, mothers are the first people to become perturbed. So she said, you know what? I had full yaqeen in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he was not going to fail. Because from the time that I bore him, I never once allowed anything even suspicious to go down my throat. Not even anything doubtful. Forget haram. Not even anything doubtful to enter my throat. He was totally nurtured from the time the embryonic stage not just after he's born that we don't give him haram food to eat and we look at the ingredients but from the time that he was in my in my womb i made sure that not even a doubtful element passed through uh, passed down to my throat uh, passed through my throat and i had full yaqeen that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was going to assist him and help him 
So there are, there are many benefits to this fact. And as I said, I was just going to focus on these main aspects. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. A few other things in this. So, you know, we talked about the whole perspective that you think about even from a young age that when you get married, you need to think about your character of how you're going to deal with marriage because character is very important in marriage. Then when you do think about getting married, then what the basis of your choice find the right person, then what you do on the first night, the du'as that you recite, uh, the, what you do when co- consummating the marriage, you keep the shaitan away, then uh, the embryonic stage, then when the child is born, the first things that should come into their ears is the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the adhan and the iqama, then um, the, 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 the breastfeeding, what a mother should do while breastfeeding. I know the, the husband's absent in a lot of this, but that's why I said that the woman is going to get a huge amount of reward, which the father, he's going to get according to what he puts in. But the mother is going to get a little And what I'm saying is that the mother is forced to go through this. So if you go through it lovingly, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you get the reward. That's the whole point of this. That's the way to make it easy. Another thing, there's a hadith that's related, just a few hadith in this regard, before we finish. First and foremost is a hadith that's related by Bayhaqi in Shu'abul Iman Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu he relates that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said iftahu ala sibyanikum iftahu ala sibyanikum awwala kalimatin bila ilaha illallah and walaqinuhum indal mawti la ilaha illallah the first things you should open up with to your children by teaching the first words they should be reading and that you should be encouraging them to learn is not Abba Ami or Dudu, you know, or something like that. But it's La ilaha illallah. Allah, La ilaha illallah. And I'll tell you from experience, it's a possibility. Allah is such an easy word to say. It's so natural to say it. You don't need any strange movements of the tongue or anything. It's just Allah. And the child will say, Allah, Allah, Allah. I've, I've actually taken people's children when, I, you know, when they give them to me. And I say, Allah, Allah, Allah. And they will say it. It's so easy. So that's the first thing that the hadith mentioned. That Ibn Abbas says that Rasulullah, <coughs> Rasulullah said that start, open up their speech with La ilaha illallah. And then when they're about to die at a deathbed, you advise them to read La ilaha illallah and encourage them to do that. So they come into the world, La ilaha illallah, they go with La ilaha illallah. As people of belief, this is more valuable than anything else. It is more valuable that our children come into the world and thus, inshallah, if there's a husnul ibtida, if there's a virtuous beginning, we expect, inshallah, a virtuous seeding state. Right? And that is extremely important. So get that. Don't put them in front of TV. Don't give them all of these weird toys to play with that, um, just playing all this crazy music and, and things like that. Just avoid that in the beginning. Just avoid that in the beginning. Subhanallah. I, I think that's very important. I remember with our first child, I was just very particular. Unfortunately, it got a bit lazy afterwards, but I was very particular. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go into a store with, with the child if there was music being played there. Right, I would stand outside, tell my wife, go and do what you have to do and come back. Or I would go and, you know, whatever the case. I was very paranoid about it. I moved to Syria. Uh, I was studying there for uh, some months. And, you know, the, the walls, they're not very well insulated. There was this single, uh, not single, but there was this woman whose husband used to work all day. And she was a hijabi woman and everything, but she used to play this loud music all the time. And it used to really bother me because I'm trying to make him, you know, not listen to all this stuff. You know, this batil at the end of the day, forget halal, haramish, it's just batil. You know, it's just wrong. What is it? Right? Anything that takes your heart away from Allah and gives you that same, you know, gives you that kind of a, uh, an attraction is wrong anyway. So, one day we went and told her that, you know, if you can just turn your music down because it was just the whole building was listening to it. So she thought that we didn't like Indian, uh, we didn't like Arab music. So then, the next day, it's Indian music's playing. She must have thought these guys look Indian or whatever. And Arabs, they like Indian music, they like Indian movies a lot. They can't understand them, but they like them a lot because, I don't know, there's some weird things about the, uh, Indian movies. So, again, I told her, you know, that, please, you know, it doesn't matter. So then, 
she plays English music. I still remember my wife told me that that was the Titanic song, the movie Titanic. There was some song, and Subhanallah, we had to listen. And I'm sure if I hear it today, I might be able to even recognize it, right? That it just it just rings in your ear. It just rings in your ear. Then finally one day I went and told her, you know, we think this is haram. This is wrong, right? Then after that, I think she calmed down, right? She just thought it was a matter of preference, right? Subhanallah. Um, so that, that's, that's the hadith that we, we want to... The other hadith that I want to quickly bring to our attention is Amr ibn Shu'iban uh, relates uh, through his chain that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said Muru awladakum bis salat I mean most people know this hadith that in, uh, encourage or order your children to pray when they're seven years old so now you start encouraging them to pray It doesn't mean that you stop them from praying before that but don't kind of like say you must pray, you must pray Do you want to pray? Do you want to pray with us? You could say that when they're five years old. And if they want to do that, don't force them. Right? Because then you could create a hatred. But at seven, then you kind of more encourage them more. Then at ten, by that time, they should become used to it. Now it says you can even discipline them uh, at this age. And then another hadith that's very important is again related by Bayhaqi in Shu'abul Iman that Abu Sa'id and Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma relate that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that whoever has a child falyuhsin man wulida lahu walad falyuhsin isma he should give them a good name and wa adaba he should give an excellent conduct he should teach them excellent adab and, um, and character faiza balagha falyuzawwijhu when they become balagh and they become mature, then get them married off. فَإِنْ بَلَغَ وَلَمْ يُزَوِّجْهُ Because if they become mature uh, to the age of marriage and they, you don't get them married, and then وَأَصَابَ إِثْمًا And then they do something haram and wrong, then فَإِنَّمَا إِثْمُهُ عَلَىٰ أَبِيهِ Then the father will be responsible, that, re, that sin will be given to them. So what we've got cases right now, we've got 25-year-old sisters and brothers who they've even, they've, they've even engaged but the parents are waiting for so-and-so to come from Pakistan or somewhere, right? Or somebody to finish their education. So it's this two-year uh, engagement. It's torture. And the parents don't get it for some reason. They just don't get it. And the children, they're trying to say, look, we're going to commit haram. SubhanAllah, it's totally against this hadith. It's totally against this hadith. Even engage. I mean, forget those who say you can't get married yet. We're talking about even those who are getting it. Long engagements are a disaster. They're very wrong. Two, three months maximum. Two, three months maximum. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. I just wanted to highlight the main points. There's a lot more than each one of these places, but this is just to give us a road map for those who want to have children, inshallah. And for those who have children, we can still rectify uh, issues and so on. Because at the end of the way, as Ibn al-Qayyim says, rahimahullah, he says that if a child goes wrong, the only person to blame is the parents. We have so much control over our children. We have so much effect on our children. And everything matters. Everything matters. SubhanAllah, I've seen parents who are... I've seen one father, he, he's, he knows he's, a, like, he's not a very behaved individual. But he is very proud of his daughter, who's a very behaved individual. She's doing very well in madrasa, in school, etc., etc. And he's on another level. But he is very happy that his daughter's that way. People want that for their children. They want that for their children, even if they haven't been able to successful. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Mm-hmm.